this um, morning, I know there are some new people here, uh, but we've been going through the book of Second Peter, and we finally get to our last section this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Um, there are Bibles on the back table if you need uh, to look at one, if you would like to. But we're in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Before we read, if you would just uh, bow your heads. Father, we thank you this morning. And we come before you and we seek your wisdom and we seek your guidance. Even as we sang, Be Thou My Vision, Father, pray that that would be our, our heart's cry, that we would be looking towards you. And as uh, we are gathered here this morning, I pray that your spirit would speak to us. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father. Give us your words. Give us your words, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've uh, been going through Second Peter last week, uh, we continued on in chapter 3, and we talked about the day of the Lord. We talked about the second coming of Christ, that Peter was going through uh, the book here, and he's been talking to the churches of Asia Minor, the five specific churches. He's been giving them instruction. He's been reminding them of various things that are on his heart because he knows that his time is short, that he's going to uh, be leaving this world soon. And he wanted them to be able to recollect these things, uh, to always be able to find them, to be reminded of them. Uh, it was his, his mission from God to preach the gospel. And so he gets to his final, his final words to these churches. And if you're there, if you're looking at verse 14, he goes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, we're going to unpack a little bit about what Peter is talking about. Um, and so uh, last week, if you were here, a uh, reminder of what Peter is talking about in verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. For those of you that weren't here, we talked about what they were waiting for. Namely, they were waiting for the second coming of Christ. They're waiting for his return. There were scoffers that were among the people that would claim, where is the promise of his return? Why hasn't he come back yet? Why has 
God delayed for so long. And Peter would remind them that it is his patience, his long-suffering, his desire for people to come to repentance is the reason for that. And so they're waiting first and foremost for his return. And secondly, they're waiting for the promise of what is to come after Christ's return. And that would be the day when there would be a new heavens and a new earth. That the old heavens, the old earth would be gone. It would be dissolved, Peter would tell them. And a new heaven and a new earth would be created. One where righteousness rules. One where there is no sin. One that is void of that. Where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more crying. Amen, indeed. And so he tells them, therefore, since you are waiting for these, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. A diligent, very important word to consider as he is talking here. The definition would uh, define diligent as this. It's steady, earnest, and energetic effort. But not only that, not only is it steady, it's ongoing, it's earnest, it's good work, it's energetic, it takes effort. It also has a persevering application. That's how they describe it. It means that in, even in adverse conditions, diligence continues to work through. That no matter what is coming your way, you continue to go on. Another definition describes it as this, conscientious, hard work, and perseverance, particularly with regard to a relationship with God. In the Scripture, diligence is highly commended. All over Scripture, we see the command to be diligent. Sometimes it's used in other words. Sometimes it, we are told to remain steadfast, remain unmoved uh, in the face, standing on the solid rock of Jesus, our foundation. Some of the Proverbs tell us this about diligence. It says the plans in Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. What Peter is reminding them in here in these final words that he is giving him is a reminder of what he has been talking about throughout his book in, talk, in terms of being diligent, in terms of remaining faithful, in terms of continuing to seek God and continuing to look towards him in all that they do. And so in doing that, he tells them to be found by him, him referring to Jesus, referring to when the time comes that he does come back, and nobody knows that day or hour, but Peter reminded his hearers to be ready for it. He says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That's pretty hard to do, right? How many of us have spots or blemishes? Any of us have spots or blemishes? Yeah. yeah. It is... Uh, a task that is not easily attained. And yet it's the command that Peter is giving them, to be diligent, to be found without spot or blemish. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we have no spots or blemishes? Well, 
first and foremost, it's already because of the work that Christ has done for us, right? Scripture says it's not by our own hands that we have done anything to warrant God's salvation. It's not anything that we could have done. It's not anything within our own abilities, but it's because of what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. Amen. So first and foremost, in God's eyes, we will be without spot or blemish because he sees us through the eyes of his son in his righteousness. But that doesn't mean that then we have a free ticket to go and do whatever we want to do. Peter reminded them in the first chapter that uh, to do these things to add to their faith. He told them back in chapter 1, after having talked about partaking in the divine nature because of what Christ has already done, because sin no longer has the power over us, because we have been rescued, it no longer has the same control. We now have the ability to say no. We have the ability to please God. And so he told them this. He said, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He's continually referring back to these things in their lives, to, to do those things, to add those things to their faith. And so for us this morning, we're going to look at a, a couple of passages. So if you would, turn with me back to Philippians 2 and the question of how do we Remain without spot or blemish. It means even though we know Christ's righteousness has been applied to us, we know we still sin, we still struggle, we still fail, but there should be that desire to draw closer to Christ. So how do we do that? How do we become more like him? How do we remove some of the stains on ourselves? Not because we're working for salvation, but because we love God and we want to get closer to him. And so if you turn back to Philippians chapter 2, a passage from Paul to the churches at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And this is a longer passage. But it's an important passage. Whenever we think of how we are to do something, first and foremost we look to our ultimate example. And our ultimate example is Christ. So Paul here outlines that for the, the church at Philippi. So listen this morning. He tells them, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here he gives us the ultimate example. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Just as we just celebrated the, the birth of Christ, taking on flesh. He emptied himself, the God of this universe, 
decided that he would be born like us. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So first God said, I'm going to come, I'm going to be like them, I'm going to be born like them, I'm going to rescue them from their thing. And even while he was in human form, he says, I'm not going to do that through power and might and wealth, even though I have all those things. But I'm going to do it first by being a servant to them and by humbling myself. Christ humbling himself before the people, before God, before the Father following the Father's will, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul, just as Peter says, knows that even though earlier in other passages of Scripture, he would continually say, by grace you have been saved, by grace you have been saved, by grace you have been saved. That is true. It is ultimately by grace, not us, not our own works. But as I said, it means we don't continue to live the way we do. Because when God invades your life, when the Holy Spirit comes in and He convicts your heart of these things, of the truth, of the knowledge that there is a God, that He is your Creator, that you have sin that separates you from Him, but that He provided a way for you to have a restored relationship, it changes you from the inside out, changes your perspective. No longer does sin mar you to the point where you can't, Acknowledge that and change your life. But because of the Spirit, you have this now new power, new life to change and become more like God. And that is what Paul references as well, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now knowing what you know, now being given the knowledge of who God is, what He has done, and who you are. How insignificant we are, and yet what God has done for us. It should humble us to the point where we understand how righteous and how holy and how awesome and how majestic He is and how so sinful and filthy and unclean that we are and give us a heart of thankfulness. Paul continues, he says, For it is, verse 13, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. There we see the word that Peter used, to be found without spot or blemish. Paul giving them instructions. How do we become like Christ? How do we our lives model His? We work towards these things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Just as we 
last week lit the Christ candle, which represented the light of the world. Paul tells them, you are a light in the world because of Christ living in you. And we live differently than the world does. We don't go after the same things they do. And the way that we do those is, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to Christ, holding fast to the scriptures, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul speaking to the Philippian church of his love for them and his desire for them to know these things in their lives. One other passage, if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting in verse 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Again, we see the continuity of Scripture. We see that as Peter had said earlier in his book to them, saying that the Words that are given to you, the prophecies, the things that you have in your hand, they're not by man's will, but it's by the Spirit working in men. These are God's words. And so we see how Paul is similar to Peter in his words because it's not either one of them speaking, but the Lord speaking through them. In the beginning of chapter 5, Paul will deal with the day of the Lord that we just dealt with uh, with Peter in the last section. Talking about not knowing when the season is, but because you are not like the rest of the world, because you've been taken out of the world, because you've been changed, because you are lights to the world, you don't live like the world, you don't act like the world, you're different. You have been called to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And so he gives them this instruction in verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, to be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So Peter in his text is reminding us here is to be found that as you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. 
Paul referring both to the Philippians earlier as we looked, and now the Thessalonians saying the same thing, to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. How do we do these things? He outlines it. It's by living the way that Christ lived while he was walking on the earth. They use Christ as their model. That no matter what comes your way, you can rejoice, you can be glad, because God is watching, and God is over you, and God is still in control, and God is the one who has done these things in your life and will continue to do these things in your life. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. One of the things that people struggle with as they go on in the Christian life, as they continue, even as we looked at uh, and, and talked about this morning about repentance and forgiveness and how God has forgiven us, it's hard sometimes to live those things out in our lives with the, the things that happen to us or to continue to do good and seek after good and do the things that Paul is telling us his hearers, his readers, uh, to continue to do those things without sometimes being acknowledged or sometimes just getting tired, getting overworked, getting run down. And that happens. And it happened in scriptures. We see it in various places where people are discouraged. We see it in the Old Testament. Think of the, the prophet. Excuse me. Prophet Elijah in his own life, uh, suffering depression. Uh, We see it in the New Testament as the apostles are writing and admonishing people to be diligent, to remain steadfast, to do all these things. And so, an encouragement, uh, I pray for you this morning as as well for us that uh, as you look at Scripture, Hebrews 6, chapter. Uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, tells us this, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the marks of uh, some of the great men of the faith is their long-lasting endurance and long-suffering and patience and reliance on God. And it's the same for us in our lives. When we look at them, it's not that they're any better or greater. It's because God is the one working in them and through them, and they are trusting in that, and that is the the same for us. So to be found without without spot or blemish, to do that, to be diligent, to work hard, requires, first and foremost, a knowledge of God, a changed heart, a changed life, uh, but always a constant reminder that He is continuing to be in control. He has not left you alone. He knows what is going on. It doesn't matter what other people may say. Whatever matters is what we do before God. Romans chapter 12 
verses 9 through 17, Paul, again, speaking to another group of people, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. All of these things in those various three passages in the beginning of Second Peter chapter 1, where he gives a list of characteristics, as I said, all these things point to Christ. And if you're doing them, it points to Christ in your life, changing you and working through you. Peter goes on to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Another word section to look at, to, to dive into, to be at peace with who? With what? To be at peace, first and foremost, with God. His hearers that he's speaking to are those that have already obtained the righteousness of Christ, have already laid their lives down uh, to say that he is Lord and Savior. So he's telling him to be found at peace. So first and foremost, be at peace with God in your life. To be at peace not only with God, but also with others. Right? So when your life is changed, everything's hunky-dory. Right? Everything's good. Everything's great. You get along with your family. You don't have any problems with your mom or dad. You don't have any problems with your children. You don't have any problems with, you know, the neighbor next door, right? Everything's good. There's no such thing as property disputes or, you know, your trash is in my yard or your dog pooped on my lawn, right? Or you're walking through my driveway. Um, all these different things. But God calls us to be at peace with um, not only himself, but also with others around us. <clears throat> Some verses about being at peace with others. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. It's a good qualifier. So far as it depends upon you, because you can't, you know, make anybody else do anything you want to do. Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That's a, a good warning. 
even am among ourselves. So sometimes even among Christians, we have conflict, right? We, things happen in our lives, conflict arises. Scripture tells us to seek one another out, to seek to uh, fix that, uh, to be at peace with one another, uh, because there is that root of bitterness that uh, I know some people in here at various other churches prior to coming here have experienced where a root of bitterness just tears up the church apart. God has called us to be at peace with, with himself and with others. And there's, there's also one other thing. If you ever heard the phrase, a mother's job is to worry, right? Mother's job is to worry. Um, father's worry too, by the way. It's just a little, it's shown a little bit differently. But um, Scripture calls, tells us that God gives us peace within ourselves. God gives us uh, peace of mind. Uh, he gives us peace about situations. He calms us um, because of what he has already done for us in our lives. Um, there is a change. We, don't have, we shouldn't, shouldn't have the same concerns as the rest of the world has. Uh, we shouldn't fear death. Uh, sometimes we still do those things because we're not rightly understanding God's word. Um, but if we trust in him and believe in him, his word is not coming back void. It will accomplish what he said it will accomplish. And it requires faith. It requires a stepping out. Requires requires an alliance, reliance on him. Back in Philippians, again, Paul would remind his readers of that. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. <coughs> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right? What does Paul tell them? Rely on God. Trust in God. So God calls us to peace. Peter is telling them, live your lives without spot, without blemish, and at peace. At peace with God, knowing that your life has been changed. You have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Knowing that your sins are forgiven. Knowing that the enmity that existed between you and God, the hatred that was there, the sin that separated you, that was conquered, that was vanquished by Jesus on the cross. We looked at that earlier in 2 Peter, talking about him reminding them of those things, partaking of the divine nature, being saved from the corruption of the world. And so it's a reminder to be at peace with God, to be at peace with others in your life, those that don't know God, those that do know God, and also to have peace within, that there are things that come your way, there are tribulations, there are trials, there are things that enter our lives as we live for a Christ that are going to try us, that are going to test us, that are going to 
wear us down sometimes, but that we can go to God and he will give us peace. He will calm our hearts. He will change us from within. And that takes diligence. That takes steady work that requires effort on our part. It requires effort on God's part working within us. And so he continues in verse 15 and counts the patience of our Lord as salvation. Goes back, as I mentioned, it goes back to his prior comments of people wondering, why has God not come? Why has he not returned? Why are we continuing? They were saying things continue the same way they have always happened. Nothing has changed. Why should we believe what you are telling us? Why should we believe that God is who he says he is, who you think he has revealed himself to be? We're just going to live our life the way we want to live it and uh, see what happens. But Peter reminds them to count the patience of the Lord as salvation because he desires that none would suffer, but that all would come to repentance. But we know that's not the case with everybody, that everybody doesn't come to repentance, that there are people with hard hearts. There are people that um, continue to remain in their sin, desire their sin. We need to be reminded that we all once were in that place, yet God rescued us out of it. And so the hope that is there exists because God has yet to come in our own day that there's still time for us to be on our knees in prayer for the work of the Spirit to occur in their life as well. That they would be able to experience the same thing that we have experienced in our life. And uh, Peter tells him, just as our beloved brother Paul, just as Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Paul would tell the Romans in chapter 2, verse 4, he would tell them this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He would question them with that question. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul knew this promise just as well as Peter did. That even though it seems as if there is a delay, even though it seems as if God should have come or should have come in power, especially to the Jews who thought he would come and overthrow the Romans, that they would be lifted up, that they would be raised up, just as they would hear stories of old from the Old Testament of, there are fathers and brothers and families who have now gone and passed gener long generations ago of how God would come in. He would raise up men uh, to lead the charge. They would conquer their foes. They would enjoy peace. They would have all these benefits. Uh, but then time and time again, they would fall into disaster. They would be conquered. Uh, but Christ broke that cycle broke the need for anybody else to be raised up again to help them out of their despair. Christ is the ultimate one who is the ultimate victory. There is no more need for another one to come in power. He has already done it. And so they need to look towards him. So Peter and Paul are saying the same thing here, that 
the patience of the Lord counted as salvation in our lives, counted as salvation for those that you may have been on your knees for years now or you may have just met somebody and just started praying for them. Some people seem very far off. But God has a way of working on hearts. God has a way of bringing things into people's lives that just change them in an instant. Where they finally come to know the glories of it, glorious richness that he has provided for them. And so that is our hope, that is our comfort in the delay of Christ coming. And Paul would say, or Peter would say, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Some of the things that Paul speaks about, and he tells us this, that which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. It goes back to what Peter had said about prior and other things, that uh, just as there were false prophets among uh, the people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, just as people would raise up that they would take the word of God out of context so they would change it to mean something else to suit their own passions and for destruction. Uh, if you remember, if you were here, we talked about one such occurrence being of Korah, uh, who was a Levite, um, but he wasn't of the, the priestly kind where he got to serve in the temple, where he would get to offer the sacrifices. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, um, all Levites are, I don't know how that saying goes, all Levites are priests, but not all Levites are something else. You should look at that. One of those sayings, you know, where the group is, they can, they're can. they all this, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're all this, too. So the, even though everybody within the, the Levitical tribe was called to the priesthood, they didn't all serve um, in the priestly duties. Um, so some of them were peripheral. They would help. Uh, in doing things. Um, and Kor and some of his men were among that. And what they said is, no, God, we're all holy before God. We all can serve as priests. We can all do these things. And his rebellion against Moses in Numbers 16, we learn that the earth opened up, swallowed him and a bunch of other people, and then it closed back up around them. Um, rebellion against God, twisting God's word. Some, he said, would do this function, some would do this function, some would do this function. And that's where you would fall in. Uh, but Kor would say, no, that's not what God's word says. And we have the same thing that, that happens today, that <coughs> if anybody says that they understand everything within uh, this book, they are lying. Um, there are some mysteries that are not made known to us. There are some things that are very hard to understand. Um, to this day, don't understand how they work. But I know them to be true because it comes from, from God. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true or it's not going to take place, but it does require faith to remain in God and trusting God and to be honest about those things, not just making up things in our own heads that make sense. And so just he would tell them just as there were false prophets of old among the people that would lead them astray, there's also going to be false prophets among you. And the same is true today. There's also going to be false teachers, false prophets among us. That is just the way it is. So I'm going to read a short excerpt 
from uh, a guy a guy named Matt Walsh. Um, he's a blogger, a uh, Christian blogger. He's a conservative. Conservative. He writes a lot of stuff, but this article comes back uh, from 2015, and it's not the whole article, but it's a couple of things that I think he hit right on point um, two years ago, and I think they still apply today because it's nothing that hasn't changed um, since the beginning of time that people are going to try to twist God's word. Uh, he says this. He says, These days churches increasingly cater to Christians who hate Christianity but still want to be spiritual. Um, one of the quotes he was quoting from a pastor was that uh, people don't uh, want to be told what to do and what not to do, but they are still interested in a relationship with God. They don't want a religion that says you can't do this and you can't do that. But they are still interested in the spiritual. But these people desire the feeling of fulfillment and purpose found in devout religious practice without any of the actual practice. Nor, for that matter, the doctrines, teachings, constraints, discipline, obedience, observance, challenges, commandments, suffering, or sacrifice. They want the appearance of the dish, but none of the ingredients whatsoever. What they end up with then is a meal similar to the kind my two-year-old daughter serves after she's made dinner in her Fisher Price kitchenette, a colorful plate filled with plastic fruit and imagination. This personal relationship with Jesus, and he uses that phrase, um, as many of us use that phrase, we need a personal relationship with Jesus. The desire is that we do know him and, and come to know him. But what he is saying is that phrase itself is being taken over to mean something different than what it was intended for. That a personal relationship has changed uh, from having an intimate walk with Christ and continuing to be a part of a community and to share with others and to engage and grow as a unit to mean just personal. I, I don't need anybody else. I don't need a church around me or I don't need somebody else to teach me. I don't need any of those things. And so he says this, this personal relationship with Jesus thing is very often applied as a means to strip the faith of its moral demands and reduce it down to anemic ambiguity. When many people speak of a personal Jesus, what they really desire is an adjustable Jesus. They want to be disciples on their own terms, to calibrate their religion to a more relaxing, luxurious setting, to throw out the difficult, challenging aspects of belief and put something customized and convenient in its place. When these folks say, my personal relationship with Jesus, all that really registers is the my. Her, their personal relationship with Jesus is only individualistic, rejecting the imperative communal dimension of faith. They keep it contained only in their heart, but they ignore the necessity of the church, which is Christ's body. They render their faith dormant, but it should be a light for the earth. I am not suggesting that you should have no personal relationship with Jesus. I'm just saying that nearly every Christian who wishes to justify their dormant, hidden, individualistic, private, convenient, customized, contained faith 
Nearly every Christian who wants to find an excuse not to go to church, nearly every Christian who wants to pretend their faith should have no bearing on their lifestyle or their sexual habits, nearly every Christian who wishes to minimize the moral characteristic of their religion utilizes that catchphrase in doing so. That's a sad thing. It's a sad thing that they would take that and use it in that way when Scripture has no no meaning of that. There is no meaning of this individual uh, relationship with Jesus apart from others that um, is mentioned in the Scriptures. What is we see in the Scriptures, especially in the earlier churches, this community that gathers together to worship God together, to praise God together, to seek His face together, to pray together, to ask for forgiveness, to offer sacrifice, to come before Him in all that they do. And that in turn, in seeking God, it changes the way they live so that they take care of one another's burdens. They watch over one another. They do the things that we read in Philippians and Thessalonians and Romans, the things that Paul is talking about, about being like Christ. They bear one another's burdens. They look after one another. They admonish one another. He quotes uh, this last thing from him. He quotes this. He says, I think C.S. Lewis, as usual, put it best. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. It's a sad, sad thing that we live in a society where, uh, as I mentioned previously, in other spots that they take the word of God and they use it to seek uh, gain of wealth and gain of stature and gain of uh, just uh, this the status among other people that elevates them above all others. And yet, as you read scripture, it's not about elevating oneself, but it's actually about decreasing oneself so that Christ is elevated. Paul himself would say that among others i'm the chief of sinners i'm not like anyone else uh in in terms of i know it's not about you know i'm better than you but it's who am i before god who am i before christ i know my heart that's not clean but thank god he has cleansed it for me So Peter goes on, he says, They are ignorant, unstable, twist to their own destructions as they do the other scriptures. And so he warns them, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing all these things that we've just discussed over the past seven weeks now, we've looked at the book of Second Peter, all of these things that he has discussed to them, knowing all of these things, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care that you not be carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. (coughs) Excuse me. 
one of the things in our own lives is sometimes we think I've dealt with that or I haven't dealt with that. I don't need to worry about that. But Scripture tells us as a warning, and Peter's warning them uh, to just be on guard, to not let your guard down, to not uh, let a, a foothold come in that Satan can use, that he can um, take advantage of. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. What Paul just did there is summed up a lot of history from the Israelites. What he's talking about is their wilderness journey. It's the uh, them being taken out of captivity from the Egyptians, crossing the Red Sea. Uh, talks about crossing the Jordan. Talks about the pillar of fire and the cloud that would be with them day and night. It talks about the food that they were eating in the wilderness. He sums up a lot of their. He sums up a bunch of their history into that to say this. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. What he did was he take see these men, women, children, these families, these people, they saw these great and mighty, majestic, wonderful, awesome things. And yet, for most of them, God was not pleased. They were not changed. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and twenty-three thousand fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. How do we do that? We look towards Christ. We look towards God. That even when we have been on the path where we have seen things, even in this church, we've seen amazing, wonderful things happen. And yet it's still a reminder to us, take heed lest you fall. No one is above falling. You hear stories of great men who have fallen, who have fallen prey to the things of this world. And it is sad and it, it hurts and destroys. Um, but it's a reminder that no one is above it. We're all plagued by sin. We all have things in our life that we struggle with. And Paul would tell, tell his readers there to the Corinthians to take... Um, Heed lest they fall. Peter is telling his hearers here the same thing, uh, dealing with the error of lawless people. 
to not be carried away, but to know what the Word of God says and to live your life out by it. And he says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. He began this in the very beginning talking about the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the very beginning, he says this, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he would continue, through the knowledge of him, it's through the knowledge of Christ, he's saying, grow in this knowledge. How do we do that? It's by reading God's word. It's about doing those things that we looked at in the beginning. It's about looking, having our eyes focused on Christ. How do we spot what the lie is? It's by knowing what the truth is. How do we continue to grow? Um, it's by the work of Christ. I'm going to end uh, with this. This is a, another excerpt. It's by a man named... J. Oswald Sanders, uh, born in the beginning of the 1900s, uh, he wrote a book called In Pursuit of Maturity. It's something that um, the men have been going through little by little. We've been taking small excerpts from his book and looking at it when we have a uh, men's group uh, at the end of each month. And as uh, this past, uh, I believe it was back in November since we didn't have one in December, uh, we looked at this and uh, really uh, spoke to me concerning the object of maturity, because that's what we're talking about here. That's what Peter's talking about. To grow in the grace and knowledge of God after having done these things, to add these things to your faith, what he's talking about is becoming a mature Christian, a mature believer in Christ. Reaching for maturity is a dynamic process that continues as long as we live. The Christian life is not a 100-meter dash, but a marathon that will test our spiritual stamina to the limit. There is no such thing as instant maturity or instant sainthood. Maturing is a slow process achieved only with difficulty, physical, mental, and spiritual. It is a process that never ends, but it can be accelerated by obedience to the spiritual laws laid down in Scripture. This should save us from discouragement. Henry Ward Beecher once said, The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. How true is that? That uh, even myself standing up before you, the pastor, as he comes back next week, and will continue on, it's the same for us. We're all imperfect. We all struggle, but it's, Growing up into Christ. There is no standing still in our pursuit of maturity. Oliver Cromwell inscribed in his Bible a pregnant motto, He who ceases to be better ceases to be good. The process of maturity is one that is ever growing. It's ever continuing on. It's ever following after Christ. It, we never reach that point while we're here on earth. But it's one that Peter would say, be diligent in seeking Christ. We're not going to have a closing 
song this morning. Uh, but we're going to uh, just spend a, a few minutes in prayer before we leave. Uh, so if you would just bow your heads. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his gift. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that uh, your word tells us that while we were yet your enemies, Christ died for us. And that you freely give us this gift of life if we believe in Christ and what he has done. So my prayer is that that would be true in our lives. That as we read that we're not uh, as the world or those pretending, not those looking for an adjustable Jesus, but the true Jesus. The true Lord who is revealed to us in your word. You continue to reveal to us through the power of your spirit working within us. I pray that if there are those here that do not know you, that you would continue to work on their hearts. Even now that you would change them. And place that desire to call out your name. And for those of us that know you, Father, I pray that you would push us forward ever onward towards you. Never never giving up, never uh, ceasing uh, to do the things that you have called us to do. Uh, but continuing to look towards your face and continuing to lift us up, Father. To give us uh, encouragement and strength to continue on in these things. To be a light in a world that is dark, that is lost and in need of you. Father, I pray that your spirit would take these words from your holy scriptures to speak truth into our lives and to continue to change us. We thank you that our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. And with that, we will never be let down. So be with us as we leave this place this morning. I pray that as we celebrate tonight the end of this year and the coming of the next, that we would put away all the things that plague us, that worry us, that constrain us, and that we would lift them up towards you. You would replace our worry with peace, knowing that Whatever happens, you are still in control. Whatever comes our way, we can weather the storm. Whatever we are tempted with, we can have victory over because you have provided the way of escape. It all comes down to you are the one who is providing for us. Let us never forget that. Be with us as we leave. Be with us until we get together again to celebrate your name. We ask this in Jesus Christ. Amen.